We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, hour two underway. My good friend Bruce Nolan joins me on the Western Hotline to talk a little bit about ourselves, some self-deprecating, some good stuff. Let's talk about us, Bruce. Let's 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 do what we do best and just make ourselves sound like handsome men who deserve the world, right? Is that are you good with that? For some of us, that is easier than for others. I will let you decide which one of us that is. <laughs> All right, jerk. Anyways, um, I've got Bruce Nolan here on the. <laughs> I got Bruce Nolan here on the Western Hotline. The reason he's on with me today, uh, short of you know, we'll talk a little bills here in a second. Um, is yesterday we announced, uh, you know, well, Bruce announced because he's the hard worker out of the both of us. I'm just the pretty face, and it's only because Bruce won't show his face. So that that's why I'm the pretty face in this scenario. Um, Bruce. Uh, for the most part, you know, you and I have been kind of going back and forth on this for the last week or so, coming up with ideas, trying to figure out the name of this podcast. First and foremost, before we go any further about what this podcast is about, can we just maybe give a golf clap to, to Miss Nolan for coming up with the podcast name? Because you and I are not nearly creative enough to come up with something as good as Food for Thought. No, 100% no. And I, I was driving in the car with Mrs. Nolan, and I, I looked over and I said, sweetheart, I need your creative mind for a brief moment. Can you please help me? And so we were spitballing some stuff, and she said, what about, what about food for thought? You, know, you guys are both foodies. Nate's a big foodie. You're always on food tanks. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a creative thing. It has a very kind of a, a lighthearted sort of a spunky vibe to it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I, I pitched it to you, and you said, my, my goodness, the more I think about it, the more I like it. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's, I, it grows on you the way I grew on her. You know, I was, I was wearing her down, and she eventually decided to marry me, and this is kind of getting your earworm, you know? Yeah, right. I was going to say, like a wart, uh, you really have to either be burned off or just live with it forever. And she's determined that she wasn't in for the pain. So she just kept you around, which is nice, which is nice, Bruce. Nice of her to, uh, to, to, to do some charity work like that, you know? Absolutely. You know, sometimes you got to really find it within yourself to really make a difference in this world. And sometimes that means you have to sacrifice and take one for the team. Thankfully, she she did. did. Absolutely. All right, buddy, let's talk a little bit about this. So, um, you know, I'm working on our first guest. Uh, you know, I'm the, I, I, I can't drop it until I get a confirmation because I don't want to, I don't want to tease people with it because it, it would be a very monumental first show for us. Um, however, 
talk a little bit about um, you know sort of the premise of the podcast, what we're going to accomplish over the next uh, you know few months, and, and obviously this is not a podcast that's just going to end at the Bills season. This isn't just a Bills podcast. It's not just a food podcast. It's a little bit of everything. So so tell the folks like your five minute elevator pitch that could probably be put into like more like one minute. So my elevator pitch for this particular podcast is what type of content are you looking for after a long work week? When you come home on a Friday and you kick off your shoes and you change into your pajama pants, you crack open a beer, you go, thank goodness the week is over. Well, you want something to get you pumped up for the weekend. You want something that's going to make you chuckle a little bit. You want to have big personalities. You want to make sure that you have some fun. You want to make sure you cover a lot of stuff but you don't necessarily want to get really heavy with it. You know, there are times when you really want to get heavy with it. That's not really the time. And so that's kind of what the podcast is about. The podcast is about being able to come out and really have a nice meal, right? Have a nice four-course meal. And the structure of the podcast is set up very similar to a a four-course meal, where the second you're getting sick of one particular thing, you can move on to the next one. And you always have something that is individually valuable to you, even if necessarily the entire thing for you is just okay. There's going to be something for everybody there. And that's really the premise of the podcast is that whole idea of having a four-course meal, having an intro, having a five-topic sort of rapid fire, having a guest, having some mailbag and Q&A, being able to kind of dabble in a bunch of different things. And you know, people who work in the radio industry like yourself are used to being able to get in and out of breaks, sometimes on time, sometimes not necessarily on time. But... <laughs> but you make sure you bring, you bring on guests and you don't necessarily always have them on for an hour at a time, but you make sure you hit the things you need to hit. And it's really about being able to say, okay, I want a variety. You know, I had a tough week. I kicked off my shoes. I cracked open a beer. Let's be entertained. Let's have a good time and let's dabble. And that's really what the podcast is about. So, Bruce, um, on top of that, you know, tell everyone first and foremost, like this is going to be a Friday night. Uh, join us live sort of thing, but also you can download the podcast on Saturday mornings and catch up afterwards, right? Yeah, so you can find us live on Friday evenings at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel. So you go to your YouTube, you type in Buffalo Rumblings, you hit subscribe, you turn on the notifications to make sure that you can pick us up live there. And so we can do Q&A, we can have some live discussion, we can have some banter, we can have a good time. And then if you were to miss it for whatever reason, it will show up in the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed on Saturday morning. By the way, I just want to, this is somewhat breaking news in the last hour. I did not see this happen um, until right now, so I will just quickly mention that Former All-Pro edge rusher Justin Houston has reached an agreement on a one-year deal worth up to $4 million with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, And he apparently uh, turned down significantly more money from other teams in order to pursue uh, the Ravens. So that's an interesting pickup for the Ravens, a team that is really desperately in need of edge rushers. They get one in Justin Houston at this point in his career. Not sure that's a move that's really moving the needle much. Is that moving the needle for you, Bruce? I will say from an efficiency standpoint, it's fascinating what the Ravens have done. You know, different franchises are team pass rush or team coverage based on what they value and who they pay. And the Ravens have consistently believed that they can manufacture pass rush through scheme. And so when you look at Yannick Ngakwe, who left and got $13-plus million in average annual value, and you look at Matt Judon, who left, who was in the $14 million of average annual value, and then the Ravens are just kind of piecing together some much less expensive bodies 
to be able to fill those roles. I think this is really going to be a testament to how much they believe in their scheme to be able to value getting pass rushers on runways and be able to take advantage of that. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch because really it's, it's an efficiency move for them. I can get more bodies cheaper and trust the scheme as opposed to allowing a singular pass rusher who needs to win one-on-one. It's going to be fascinating. It really is a reflection of the way that the Ravens are built organizationally, and it's really on brand for them. Bruce Nolan here joining me on the Western Hotline, previewing a little bit of our new podcast, which you can check out next Friday, our first edition of Food for Thought. Again, you can check us out on Buffalo Rumblings YouTube page, 9 p.m. Eastern, live next Friday. Or if you want to, if you can't be there on Friday night, if you've got prior obligations, you can check out the podcast on Saturday. It'll be available uh, wherever you get your podcast. So, Bruce, I um I want to talk to you a little bit about training camp. Obviously, today the big day. at Highmark Stadium, 20-plus uh, thousand people in attendance, including our friend Greg Thompson over at Cover One, uh, showing and, and posting a lot of video throughout the day. I want to ask you a little bit about overall your thoughts about how, at least early on in training camp, this wide receiver situation is playing out. I am of the mind that Jay Kumro is absolutely turning into a story for me because obviously we know the whole background story about how, frankly, pissed off Aaron Rodgers was that the team decided to cut Kumara, who was having the best camp of any receiver not named um, not named Adams right over there. So talk to me a little bit about if, if Jake Kumara is this team's six-wide receiver, what does he bring in your eyes that maybe an Isaiah Hodgins doesn't or maybe a Marquez Stevenson doesn't? I think for me the first thing when you look at Jake Kumara is a lot of times you have to make a call between having someone who can play special teams and someone who gives you valuable athletic traits as a wide receiver. Sometimes those things are mutually exclusive. Jake Kumaro is a player where those things are not mutually exclusive. You can have someone who's six foot four, 210 pounds, and can also play special teams, which means you don't have to make a decision between having your cake and eating it too. And a lot of times, that's what those back end of the roster decisions end up being. They end up being, well, yes, I understand that this person might be able to slot in better as an offensive player, but hey, we need a gunner. Or this person may be able to slot in, slot in better as an offensive player, but hey, we need a jammer. And that's not a call you have to make with Jake Kumaro. And that versatility, the ability to also be trusted on special teams, but also understand that he's got physical tools where you can play him on offense. Obviously, you know, the throw against the Broncos comes to mind that Josh Allen made down the scene to Jake Kumaro, which is absolute monster throw. But in addition to that, the fact that he was willing to pull the trigger on it says something about Jake Kumro's ability to be able to play in base offensive sets. So the key for me is he doesn't even have to be stellar at either one of those things. The fact that he can do both of them means there's always going to be an opportunity for someone like that to make the decisions easier on a team that is looking for reasons to try to keep a back half of the roster person where they don't have to make those calls. Bruce Nolan here on the Western Highline. And, Bruce, last thing um, that I really kind of wanted to go over with you today for for at least the training camp aspect of this whole thing. Um, I was talking about this with Sale a little bit this morning, but I kind of wanted to, to dig into the scheme part of this a little bit more with you. About the advantage of having what I believe – at this point, might be two of the best four slot receivers in football with Emmanuel Sanders now being here in Buffalo and, and, and Cole Beasley for whatever you want to say about Cole um, and, and sort of how the, the tumultuous offseason he's had off the field and on Twitter. He is the best 
slot receiver in football. Um, I'm not sure that I'm even really willing to debate it with anybody. He just is, and I think that's just the, the nature of the beast right now. Where Emmanuel slots in, you know, after that, I think, you know, talking and, and hearing Cole sort of talk about Emmanuel Sanders and their time together at SMU in college about how both of them played the slot a lot. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about what an advantage, particularly for the mind that Brian Dable is, what kind of advantage it can be to have two competent, nuanced route runners in the slot, particularly when you stack the two and how hard it can be to guard and defend two really high-end slot receivers when you're stacking them so closely and trying to figure out and pass off guys properly like how hard is that from a communication how about this how about the question turned like this Bruce is can you properly defend those two in the slot when you're stacking them without almost picture perfect communication from the defensive side of the ball no because a brief second of miscommunication or hesitation and the suddenness that you get from players who have low hip elevations and can break out of routes the way that Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley does a second of being off and you're toast and so when you have two players who have that level of suddenness, it does really two things for your offense. It changes your trips game, because like you said, you can stack people, and it changes your two-by-two game. Because most of the time, when you go two-by-two, one of those people is your designated quote-unquote slot receiver, and the other guy is wide receiver four. And wide receiver four might actually be an outside guy who you're just playing in the slot. And you're you know, worried about slot fades, but you're not worried about the same type of thing from that player that you would be worried about from a traditional slot receiver like Cole Beasley. Well, now that changes. Now if you want to go two-by-two and you have Stephon Diggs and you have Gabriel Davis as your boundary players and you can have Sanders and Cole Beasley in the slot, you have an issue, not just from a communication standpoint, but also from a basic personnel standpoint. If you think about where the league is trending right now, it's trending toward these hybrid slot defenders that can help deal with being put in this weird purgatory situation that offenses are trying to put them in. The offenses are trying to put them in a specific situation where if they go with a nickel corner, they're too light. But if they go with a base linebacker, then they're too slow. And so they're trying to get this situation taken care of where you can get this larger but more athletic hybrid slot defender. We hear about the Buffalo nickel all the time. Well, all that's fantastic until you have two of them. Now all of a sudden you have two of them and you go, goodness gracious, we just spent a significant cycle in organizational football trying to combat this stuff, and now you're going to hit us with both of them? That's a problem. And so it'll be fascinating to see what Brian Dable does with it, but that's a a situation where Emmanuel Sanders was 50-50 in the slot and boundary. So it's not like he leans one way or another. I think we all just kind of assume he's going to be a boundary guy taking over John Brown, and that's absolutely true, but... What if you're in trips? What if you're in two-by-two? Two? Yep. This changes things. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see it. Yeah, Bruce. And, and, and I think, too, spacing in this offense in particular with the pass catchers is going to be just be super interesting on how you scheme that spacing up, especially when you're talking about you, you, you throw a three-by-one set with Diggs, Manuel, Emmanuel Sanders, and Cole Beasley on one side of the football, and you have one outside corner and a slot guy and a linebacker. I, like, good luck. Yes, exactly, good luck. And it's one of those things where not a lot of offenses throw that at you. So because not a lot of offenses throw that at you, not a lot of defenses are prepared to stop it. Your offenses are getting to the point now in the NFL where you're starting to see a lot of these things duplicated from the Sean McVay tree. You're seeing a lot of under center. You're seeing a lot of wide zone. You're seeing a lot of 
the stuff you saw from Cleveland last year, the stuff you saw from the Rams, the stuff you see in Minnesota, you see stuff you see in, in Cincinnati. You see all of these scenarios where you're starting to see a kind of in vogue sort of passing offense. None of those things include double slots. Right. So it's just a it's just a unique sort of spin, and I'm fascinated to see what they do with it. All right, Bruce, appreciate you, brother. I'm really looking forward to next Friday uh, and, and having our debut episode of Food for Thought. Thanks for coming on and help preview with me, talk a little bills. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. Thanks a lot, man. Talk to you soon. Awesome. You too. Bruce Nolan there of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast and soon to be the um, Food for Thought Podcast with me, co-host Nate Geary. So, uh, yeah, join us next Friday. It'll be really fun, our, our, first, uh, our first kickoff podcast. It should be, uh, should be a great time. So, uh, before I take a timeout and go to uh, my man Evan Lazar of the New England Sports Network, um, we are going to talk a little AFC East rivalries here. The Patriots training camp, get an update, see and hear what's sort of been going on there in New England. Um, one of the most interesting aspects of the Patriots training camp, and sort of what we've all been waiting to hear, is just where Mac Jones sits um, and where Cam Newton is at this point in the process and, and how he's looked throughout training camp. If you follow any of the beat reporters for uh, the Patriots, you'll know this has been a fairly, at least quiet beginning of training camp for me. Um, I haven't heard a lot about the Mac Jones and Cam Newton battle. Frankly, I'm of the mind that I'm not sure it is a battle. That's why I'm, I'm interested to have Evan on here. Is this an actual battle um, or is this Cam Newton's job and, and good luck otherwise? Um, so we'll see ultimately what, what kind of happens, but I'm really interested to talk to Evan about this. And, and frankly, you know, next week I won't be here. I've got a wedding next week, so Joe DiBiase will be in for me. I need to get a Dolphins reporter in here. I'm just riveted to figure out what it is, what's happening in Miami, because there's just – it's funny. Uh, and funny, haha, like for me, but I, I find it funny. One of my very best friends that, you know, I golf with three times a week um, is a Dolphins fan and a diehard Dolphins fan. And we are in a group chat with all of our other regular golfing buddies, and all of us – sort of just poke fun at him, you know, and like take shots at him. It's all in good fun. But one of my favorite things was during OTAs when the story was two or through five picks in 11 on 11 OTAs. Right. Not good, right? And everyone saying, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no pads on. It's OTAs. They told him to be aggressive. It's practice. Like settle down. He's not that bad. Like he's, that was like four weeks ago. And then yesterday it was, Tua threw a 45-yard pass in the air, perfectly thrown, over the shoulder, no pads. Woo! And it's like, weren't you the person that was telling me not to overreact to five interceptions and you want to react to a deep ball without your best corner on the field? The Dolphins are fascinating to me mostly because of the way their season ended last year. And like how it just completely collapsed on them, and how they they should have made the playoffs. The Bills weren't trying, and they got crushed by the Bills. If that had happened to us, I would be questioning everything about the team's character, about the leadership of the team. Are we headed in the right direction? Like, what are we doing here? Like, real deep fundamental fundamental questions. So, like, I'm curious. Like, how are Dolphins fans thinking about them? Do they view that loss as like is that a big deal, or are they just moving on? Like, are they wait and see? Like, where are they mentally? Where are Dolphins fans mentally with that team <laughs> right now? And not even they are like, a glass house of emotion. I mean, like, I wouldn't blame. I don't blame them. 
Like that's like if seeing a, a team put up that kind of performance when you need to win and basically like, oh wow, it looks like they quit after having quit on the other coach. Like that's tough. So I I would love to talk to Dolphins folks and see what they think about that cuz that's that's entertaining. That kind of stuff. That's fun for me cuz I don't have to deal with it personally anymore. Right. I can just watch the drama unfold. As is tradition. I will watch the drama unfold from afar. I'm I'm interested to see what happens with this Xavier Howard situation, how this plays out. Do they end up trading him? I've I'm of the mind that if they don't trade him, they're gonna have they're gonna have issues. Uh, and nobody wants your best player to not be bought in. And right now he's not bought in. I, I mean, he is not practicing due to a quote unquote injury. So yeah. Um not good. I'm not a big fan of like Give it, if a player is unhappy and doesn't want to play for you, but you give them cover by like saying, ah, they're taking a day or something like that. It's like, no, if they don't want to play with you, say it and just be like, he's, right. he should have showed up and he didn't. Like, just call it as it is, right? Say, like, we're trying to trade him. We'd like to move him. We'll make it happen. He doesn't want to be here. That's fine. Hmm. Move on. Find somebody what, else. Who are you talking about? You're talking about, oh, Xavier Howard. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. <sighs> oh, I dropped something over there. All right. We got to take a timeout. Other side, Evan Lazar, NESN. He's going to join us to talk Patriots training camp. He was there live today. We're going to get an update on how things have uh, been shaking out between Cam Newton, Mac Jones, and Brian Hoyer. Don't forget Brian Hoyer! All right, welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday at the halftime mark of the show, and we're bringing you an update live from Patriots training camp. Evan Lazar joins me now on the West Her Hotline to help us better understand what's been going down in Patriots country. Evan, as always, man, appreciate your time and analysis. Thanks for joining me and making some time for us here at WGR. No problem, Nate. Thanks for having me on. No, my pleasure, Evan. So listen, um, I think... Everybody's got one eye on the division, right? The, everyone's uh, Today was the big uh, in-person practice for the Bills, over 20,000 fans in the stands watching the team at Highmark Stadium. And, and I think as people are leaving the stadium now, hopping in their cars, they're tuning on the radio, they want to hear what the hell's going on around the division, particularly the team that I think most people, not only around the league but here in Buffalo, believe are the greatest threat to the Bills in this division, the New England Patriots, a team that has maybe has added more wins above replacement than any team in NFL history during training camp and the draft this year. Before we get into all the other additions and kind of how, how the defense is playing out, because that's really where they made their biggest impact um, this offseason, let's talk about the quarterback position. I, I'm, I'm sure that I can't be the only person that's asking you about it. I'm sure fans want to know. I'm sure you're writing about it a lot. I guess the question I want to ask you, Evan, is your impression through the first couple of days of training camp. Is there a quarterback battle happening, or is it – I guess the question is just, does it feel like there's an actual battle for the starting quarterback position right now in New England, or has it appeared to at least the first couple of days of practice, this is Cam Newton's job, and Mac Jones is going to have a tough, not a lot of opportunities to take that away from Cam? Well, this morning we spoke to Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, and according to Belichick, he once again said, Cam is our starting quarterback, and there's really no hesitation from him on that regard. I will say, though, that based off of reps and who I think – more importantly than just the number of reps might be who is repping with who, right? Like who's working with the starting offensive line, who's working with the starting group of receivers. And both Cam and Mac at times have had opportunities to work with the, the other 10 starters on the field, if you will. You know, Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, 
Nelson Aguilar, starting offensive line. You know, those guys have cycled in a little bit with both of those. I would say it definitely has leaned towards Cam Newton. I, I think what Belichick said this morning is backed up both in terms of performance and what we've seen in terms of reps as well out at training camp. They're giving Mac plenty of opportunities, though, and I don't know if that's necessarily opportunities to take the job right now. Maybe it's more we got to get him integrated and we got to get him working with these guys because he's going to be our long-term starter, and a bunch of these guys are probably going to be around for the next couple of years, especially the ones that they signed in free agency. You know, they signed Hunter Henry to a three-year deal, Johnny Smith to a four-year deal, Nelson Aguilar is only on a two-year deal, but you got to think that Mac will be the starter in 2022 by the latest point. So he's definitely integrated. He's definitely getting involved with the starting group. Uh, but for right now, Cam has played better and continues to be the guy that Belichick is back. Evan, talk a little bit about the difficulty and the balancing act as an offensive coordinator you have to sort of play here. Because I view Mac Jones and how this offense looks under him compared to how this offense looks under Cam Newton as being remarkably different, almost polar opposite. So if you are the if you're the if you're the offense coordinator right now, how do you build an offense that highlights the guy that you believe is going to be the starter, but leaves in room for Mac Jones to potentially at some point potentially take over this year or into next year? Like I, I look at it this way, right? I look at I look at the Bills, right? And part of the reason they moved on from Matt Barkley this offseason, Evan, was they believed they had to change fundamentally change the scheme in the offense. If Josh Allen got hurt, they have to tailor this offense around Matt Barkley. They just don't have the same skill set. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that you know uh, that I think Mitch Trubisky and Josh Allen are similar talents, but I don't think Brian Dable has to fundamentally change the offense when Mitchell Trubisky comes in. He brings the same level of athleticism. He can get the ball out quickly. He doesn't have to change who they are fundamentally. I feel like if you're Josh McDaniel, you have to fundamentally change your offense if Cam Newton comes off the field, whether it's for injury or lack of success on the field, for Mac Jones. So, like, how do you balance that as a play caller? It's a great question, and I'll say this first before I do have you know a point to make about what we've seen so far. But the first thing I will say is that based off of last year, based off of what we've seen out here at training camp and mini camp in June, Josh McDaniels' passing systems, the passing concepts that he runs when they put the ball in the air, is not going to change no matter who the quarterback is. Right? They're going to cause or, or force, I should say, Cam Newton or Mac Jones to learn their way of doing things, and their system and McDaniels' system. It's the same system that we've seen with Tom Brady for the last 20 years, and there aren't a whole lot of differences. There are some tweaks here and there to adapt the scheme to Cam, but for the most part, this is the same foundation from what we saw with Brady, and it's on Cam to learn the playbook and learn the system. Now, we did have a sequence, I believe it was yesterday, that's four plays in a row for Cam, then four plays in a row with Mac just right back to back. And in Cam's four-play sequence, the last two plays, they were drilling the run game. The last two plays were quarterback options, right? There was some sort of threat for the quarterback to run the football, whether it was a zone read, power, or something like that. Then Mac came into the huddle and they had to run everything from under center and there was no quarterback option plays in the last yep. two plays. So you saw it right then and there. Okay. We're going to run this package with cam. We know we can't run that package with Mac. And, and I do wonder if it's the two quarterbacks, they, they are who they are. They've been running their, their sort of styles for plenty of years now. But the question is, is the other 10, 12, you know, 15 guys around them that are going to play a lot. How do they kind of adapt when 
they have a guy that's a little bit more mobile in Cam, or maybe they're calling some different things with Cam in there in terms of the run game. And then Mac comes in, and they got a stationary quarterback. And Mac moves around the pocket pretty well. You know, he's done some good bobbing and weaving and type, that type of stuff, but he's certainly not an athlete back there like Cam is. So two very, very different styles. I, I would say Mac has a little bit more agility in the pocket, a little bit more ability to move around the pocket, whereas Cam is kind of that big, you know, dominating presence in the middle of the pocket that's very difficult to get to the ground because he's so big, but he's not necessarily, you know, bobbing and weaving like a boxer in and out of punches, right? You know, he, he's somebody that kind of just stands there on his spot. So they're very different styles, and I, I am interested to see how they kind of balance that and, and how Josh McDaniels approaches it because, to me, making Cam – play the offense that Brady played for 20 years mm. here is kind of fitting a trying to fit a round yeah. hole into a square peg, right? It's really not his game. So they're going to be successful and they're going to turn this thing around and they're going to win 11, 12 games this year and make the playoffs. Then I do think Josh McDaniels is going to have to change his ways a little bit. So far he's been reluctant to do that. Evan Lazar here joining me on the Western Hotline is a Patriots Beat reporter for CLNS Media and the host of the Patriots Beat podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at EZLazar on Twitter. So, Evan, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I, I, I think this has been maybe a storyline that's been buried because every, all eyes are on the quarterback position. Obviously, the moves made at tight end at wide receiver. They've been sort of the sexier things to talk about this training camp and leading into training camp. And I'm wondering... How does this backfield look, As, particularly from a fantasy perspective? I think for the most part, everybody kind of expects and understands that this is a backfield that is going to be multiple. There's not going to be that feature back, so to speak. Is In your mind, is that changing a little bit with Damon Harris? Like, Is he the guy that you believe is the feature back? And what does that mean for Sony Michelle? I mean, this is a guy this, this team put a lot of resources into, and it seems like he has really fallen out of favor there in New England. Well, Sony's actually looked really good out there at practice. I'm not saying Damian Harris hasn't, but I think Sony has slimmed down a little bit. He looks a little bit quicker, lighter on his feet. He's caught some passes coming out of the backfield, which was something that a lot of Patriots fans have been clamoring for because they're very one-dimensional. When they put Sony Michelle in the game, they run the ball over 60% of the time, and defenses just kind of know what's coming, right? They know it's probably going to be a run, and if it's going to be a pass, it's going to be some sort of under-center play-action type of concept. So they're very predictable with a guy like Sony Michelle on the field, and at times even with a guy like Damian Harris. But I think both of those guys are going to be featured prominently, especially if Cam is the quarterback and they're running the ball as often as you would think they would with Cam. I don't think that this is going to be a great backfield to pick a fantasy running back in. I know that that's kind of shocker the for the Patriots anyway. <laughs> right. And, and it really does feel like, to me, I know there's been some kind of momentum towards the Damian Harris side of things because of how he played last year, but I really do think that Sony's going to get plenty of opportunity and they're both going to get a lot of chances and a lot of touches, especially to keep both of those guys fresh. I would also say that Brandon Bolden, even though he's somebody that I think is definitely going to be the third guy in that early down back role, if he is in that role, or even if he's sometimes a little bit better out of the backfield as a pass catcher as well, like he's looked very, very good after opting out last year. He looks fresh. He looks ready to go this year. So uh, that backfield is deep. It's going to be spread around. I don't think one guy is going to dominate the touches, but from a fantasy perspective, that's that's what I'll say. But in a high leverage situation, right when they need to close out the game late in the fourth quarter, or they need a big uh, first down conversion on third and one. I think it will be Damian Harris, but you're going to see the carries. I think are going to be split pretty even on the whole. 
but you're going to see those high-leverage situations. I do think that will favor Harris. Evan, how about wide receiver? Obviously, and I guess where I'm going to go at this point is as a person that really – I was impressed with the transition Jacoby Myers was able to make in the NFL from quarterback to wide receiver. He has the athletic ability. He really showed, I think, a really strong rapport with Cam Newton last year. And, and I think that was a big reason that when Cam had that early success, particularly throwing the ball, it was because of Jacoby Myers. With the additions of Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, where is he fitting into things? And how has that room, which frankly has been pretty remade, looked so far in training camp? Well, honestly, they've looked pretty good. And from my eye test, I think it's difficult because the last two training camps in particular, the Patriots wide receiving corps has been so bad that now that we actually see a guy, for example, like Nelson Aguilar, as you mentioned, who can actually run and stretch the field and get behind a defense every once in a while and create big plays through the passing game, it's like you're, you're seeing a unicorn here in, at Gillette Stadium, right? Like we haven't seen something like this. I don't know, probably since Brandon Cooks in 2017 out here at training camp. So I've been at the last four training camps, and Aguilar in particular, his speed and his dynamic ability to create explosive plays is better than any receiver we've seen out here in the last four seasons. I mean, Julian Edelman was great when he was out at training camp in 18 and 19, but he's that shifty type of slot receiver, right? He's not a guy that's creating big plays over the top of the defense. So Nelson Aguilar... I think a lot of people down here on the beat have been shocked at just how many big plays he generates. Even if he doesn't catch them all, even if he doesn't finish them all, just the threat of him out there has been a really big difference compared to, let's say, a Demir Bird last year, which I think mm-hmm. is not saying much. But obviously it's one of those things where it's difficult. It's like where the Patriots receivers for the first three years that, that I was here just so bad that Aguilar and Bourne just look great just because they're professional wide receivers and guys that have actual tools to work with at this level, or are they actually making some headway in that group? Because Bourne, he is not as explosive as Aguilar. He's definitely more of a possession route running type of receiver, but he has been open a ton for the first four days of practice, and he has caught a lot of balls, and he's got a really good knack for finding open spaces, very good route runner, really strong hands, and the quarterbacks seem to really like him and are kind of getting uh, to him in, in certain situations, and Myers is sprinkling in as well. So that top three looks pretty solid right now, at least compared to what the Patriots have had in the last couple of seasons. I mean, when you're in camp last year in 2020 and your top receivers in the huddle are Demir Bird, Jacoby Myers, and Muhammad Sanu, and then they release Muhammad Sanu and they never actually makes the team. I mean, it's a big difference to go from that to Aguilar, Bourne, and Myers. You know, So uh, it has been a nice improvement. It's been a welcomed improvement. I'd even say Nikhil Harry's had some moments because they've kind of been able to use him in the red zone and, and the closer to the goal line in the right ways because he's not necessarily forced to do the things on the outside that they needed him to do because they didn't have anybody else. So it's been a breath of fresh air to have some pass catchers in camp, including the two tight ends that look right. like they're actually NFL receivers and look like they can actually do something. Yeah, that's and that's kind of where I think the next question here goes, right? Because – with their presence in this lineup, it's going to be hard week to week to determine. And, and I think this is really more so a point of how you defend the Patriots offense now moving into the season. I think it's going to be really hard to determine week in and week out how this offense prioritizes who to get targets to. And I think 
I think the great part about how they've built the offense this year is you don't necessarily need to force the ball to one player. I think there's going to be a lot of variety on how they do this. Having a lot of 12 personnel on the field, maybe pulling it's 12 personnel, but you've got Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith lined up as a receiver, and it's not a true 12 personnel look. Uh, talk right. about the mismatches that McDaniels is going to be able to create with two tight ends that I think are really t- two of the top seven, top eight tight ends in the league. Yeah, I think that's what has me the most excited about this group is because we're out here in camp now and these beginning stages especially, but pretty much everything that they put in front of the media is basic concepts, right? They're not showing us any of the smoke and mirrors yet. They're not showing us sure, any of the stuff right. that they've really cooked up in the lab. So we're not getting misdirection. We're not getting play action. We're not getting different formations to that degree yet. And you're still seeing Henry, Johnu, uh, the three wide receivers I mentioned. You're still seeing those guys make plays. And once it all gets into game planning and once they get into you know, hunting mismatches and working on game plans and strategically planning against the defense, I think it's going to really increase their just kind of success rate even more. So this group, I think, has the chance – we kind of knew on paper that they had some good upside. I think what I've seen over the last four days, today was a sloppy day for the offense, but just as an overall big-picture theme, I would say for the first four days of camp, you have really seen that plan that they came up with in the offseason during free agency start to come to fruition on the field. And at times, Cam and Mac have both looked pretty good when they have those four or five guys out there throwing to them. So I, the Patriots, I think, wanted to build an offense where it was a lot more quarterback-proof than what they had in, in 19 and 20. Those two offenses, they were so limited at the, at the skill positions yeah. that even when Brady was here in 19, they were relying so heavily on the quarterback to be good, right? And right. now I think that both quarterbacks, if they're in there, could actually probably have some success just because of the players that they have. You know, Hunter Henry has been great in the red zone drills that they've been doing. Johnny Smith crossing over the middle of the field and then catching and running with the ball like he did in Tennessee. These opportunities are out there for these quarterbacks as long as they can make some of these throws. All right, Evan, last thing for you. I wish that we had more time because we could probably do a whole part on this defense here because it's just com- it's going to look completely different than it did in 2020. Talk to me about maybe what is the most exciting thing for the first couple of days of practice on the defensive side of the ball and, and, and maybe talk about where the defense stands in training camp versus the offense. I think the one interesting thing here in Buffalo so far through the first few days is, is sort of the – the standard of training camp is that the defense always looks a little bit ahead of the offense, particularly early on, and then it usually catches up by the end of training camp. It's sort of been flipped on its head here in Buffalo. The offense has looked really sharp, really crisp and clean early on in training camp, and the defense is starting to catch up now as we, as we move further into training camp. What has been your impression of this new-look defense and how it has started training camp this year? Well, I think what the hallmark of every good Bill Belichick defense over the years, whether it's the early 2000s defense or the defense in 18 and 19, is, is just having versatility at linebacker and depth at linebacker because they run the 3-4 here. Their defensive linemen are, are gap eaters, you know, block eaters. They're not guys that necessarily put up flashy stats because the guys behind them at the second level or the guys on the edges are the ones that they really want to be the playmakers. And what we've seen out here – so far, granted, there's there's no pads, so we're not into contact yet. But what we've seen out here so far is that between Judon and Hightower and Van Noy and Uche, uh, those four guys in particular, and Winovich isn't even out here yet because he's, he's on the pup list, those four guys in particular really give them a lot of juice in that linebacking core to do what Bill Belichick 
likes to do, right? He likes to be multiple. He likes to give the quarterback a bunch of different looks to try to confuse the QB, who's coming, who's dropping, you know, those types of looks. And all these guys can really do all those different types of things. So the linebacking core last year was just riddled by both opt-outs with guys like Hightower opting out and, and just a lack of talent at that position. They've really kind of completely overhauled that thing this year, and it looks a whole lot better and a whole lot more like what a dominant Belichick defense would look like. If there's one concern that I have and I continue to have out here at practice is we don't have Stephon Gilmore out here yet. He's on the pup list as well. But assuming that Gilmore comes back after Gilmore, Jackson, J.C. Jackson, and John Jones, their slot corner, the covered talent at cornerback really drops off after that top three. Now, you hope that all three of those guys can stay healthy and you don't have to worry about that. But that fourth cornerback position, the third outside corner position, whether it's Jalen Mills or Jawan Williams, those guys have been up and down throughout practice and I just see that as a kind of an Achilles heel potentially is if somebody goes down in that secondary or if they have to play a team like Buffalo who's going to put a lot of receivers out on the field, they, that's an opportunity maybe if you can get Jalen Mills in a bad matchup or if the Patriots put Jawan Williams on the field and you can get him in a bad matchup, I do think you can pick on their depth at cornerback and that's something that I'll continue to monitor because they could make a move there, I think, because this, this group is not deep in the secondary like it has been in years past, especially at that cornerback position. All right, Evan, as always, man, I, I can't tell you and tell you how much we appreciate you making time for us like you always do. No questions asked. Thanks a lot, man. Enjoy the rest of training camp. You and I will be uh, in short touch, I'm sure, and looking forward to catching up with the after training camp. Sounds good, Nate. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Evan Lazar there on the Wester Hotline. Of course, you can follow Evan at EZLazar uh, uh, on Twitter. And, uh, of course, you can check out his work over at CLNS Media on Twitter. And he's, of course, the host of the Patriots Beat Podcast. Going to take a timeout because my man Connor Rogers joining us next. Another division foe, the Jets. What the heck is going on in New Jersey? We'll get the update next with Connor Rogers here on WGR. Okay, uh, you know the deal. No segment here. Going to take another timeout. When we come back, Connor Rogers of Bleach Report is going to join me. We're going to talk some New York Jets football. Uh, they just finished up practice today. Uh, Connor was not there. We're going to talk a lot about what the role for uh, some of these young players that we're seeing, particularly Elijah Moore. Going to figure that out. Talk a little bit about Zach Wilson, his first couple days at camp. All that's coming up next, so don't go anywhere here on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.